when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, internet? Bad. What? <laughs> what? Bad. No. Why is it bad? What's bad, internet? I oh. lost the day it was because it's not the day we're recording. <gasps> it's right. I'm going to leave it. What? We're yeah. going to roll yeah, with this. Yeah, yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. It's Friday, June 21st, not uh-huh. Tuesday, June 18th. You not are listening to Waypoint Radio episode 242. That is the right number. Yeah. I, that part I changed on my doc. Hell yeah. I did not change the date. I was, That's wrong. <laughs> you are listening to Waypoint Radio. We are basically continuing our previous recording session. So, you know, full transparency here. It is still Tuesday when we're recording this. We're answering all of your questions about E3 2019 and, and about the future of video games. And we asked for questions and we got so many that I was like, we should just keep going. We should just do a second one of these right Hell now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think there's some interesting ones here. I think we got, we got some stuff here where I'm like, I want to answer that. And also, we haven't done a deep dive on the question bucket. And also, Patrick's gone for a week starting tomorrow or for almost a week. So I was like, let's just sneak this in. I got some dentist stuff this week. I'm going to be out of office on certain days. So, like, let's just fucking knock out this thing. And that way, we don't need to worry about recording on Thursday or Friday. That way, Kato can have all of it in front of him. Yeah. You just get them all edited as soon as you want to and free up that week. So let's just dive right into the question bucket. If you have questions, you can send them to gaming, the at symbol, vice, period, okay. C-O-M. That's what we're doing now? <laughs> just this time. Dear Waypoint, says John, like you, I was very excited by the Breath of the Wild sequel announcement. However, since that time, I've seen article after article reporting that the next Zelda sequel is largely inspired by Red Dead Redemption 2. I enjoyed, and then four links, um... I enjoyed Red Dead Redemption 2, but have complicated feelings about it, as I know some of you do as well. The question is, how should we judge this? What does an RDR-inspired Zelda look like? Thank you, John. And the big thing I just want to hit here is that you – you is it's just like – let me pull the curtain back on these different stories about this, the idea that it was reported multiple times. It was reported once. All of this comes from a single One IGN, interview. One interview on IGN uh, um, in which – Aonuma said, so I'm just going to read the quote. Yeah. Um, Zelda producer A.G. Aonuma revealed this information in an interview. Sorry, this is wrong. Oh, yeah, this is right. This is the, this is the one where it is actually IGN's interview. Reveal this information in an interview with IGN. When asked what games the younger staff and the Zelda team were playing, <laughs> specifically what inspired them, Aonuma responded, something I did hear is that a lot of people were playing Red Dead Redemption 2. That's the quote. The quote is not, and we're looking to that for a huge amount of, right. of inspiration. Yeah. Or we think that game is amazing and we're trying to do that. But Zelda, 
I'm not saying that it will it's not be It's literally a popular video game yes. with big played. world and stuff in it is being played by staff be, play, making B- a big world with stuff in it. In the same way that the Red Dead Redemption They're team doing probably their played job. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Right. So what happens when a story like this hits is that's a great headline. That headline, the IGN it's headline. Zelda and Red Dead Redemption 2, SEO, woo! Swish, huge. Uh, and you're a team that's been reporting out E3 for a week, and you're like, you look like Ganon in that Breath of the Wild 2 trailer. You're just like dehydrated. dehydrated. You're just a desiccated corpse. You're about to be looted. Some motherfucker's about to kick down the door and be like, yo, do I get a magic sword from you? Uh, you are like, I have to write a thing today. IGN reported this. Is this something our audience cares about? Probably. And that is how you get four stories. I think it's very funny, John's email. The last one listed is the original IGN story. Like <laughs> all the other ones are people just rewriting that same quote. Right. Um, which is not even presented in any like broader context no. or or like a larger conversation necessarily. Like there's other information there about how like Skyrim was a game that they played. I mean, I guess maybe that is my my the the answer to your actual question is. Um, when asked what open worlds in- inspired the Zelda team as a whole, he said, quote, when I was working on Breath of the Wild, the director, Hidemaru uh, Fujibayashi, was playing Skyrim. Well, how much did Skyrim influence Breath of the Wild? It did, certainly. But right. how close are those two games in design? So I think when you see a story like this, like, take a deep breath. This does not mean that you're going to, like, see those explicit systems. You're not going to see huge cutscenes in a camp probably like the way you did in Breath of the Wild. But, or the way you did had, like, but, a can- but what if you could pick up NPCs and have a traveling camp in Breath of the Wild? That'd be great. Uh, hang out with those people cool. and like go on quests for them. Mm. Totally. That would be sure, great. Steal that part. And like, like this is this is complete complete conjecture, but I could definitely see someone playing Skyrim, Skyriming up a mountain and being like, what if we could just climb? What if you could just climb? Exactly. Right? That's the sort of stuff that w- when you think about inspiration, you right. really think in a broad terms, especially when you talk about gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Because it is often finding gaps and being like, I want to address this thing that is frustrating me in this game. Right. Like, I really like this, but X, Y, Z. So I just want to hit that one quick, John. I think that's like, you are, to be clear, I'm not dragging you because if you see that array of headlines, you're like, fuck, I can't believe they're making Red Dead Redemption 3. <laughs> yeah. But like, they're not. That is not what that means. Um, it is, it is as Patrick said, their job to survey the field and be like, wow, here's a game that is trying something. Right. We should play this and and see what it's doing and like how can we in, how can we bring that stuff in in the same way that we look around at other games journalism and other podcasts and other you know whatever and we're like huh cool this is this is a big feature that they're doing i wonder if we have an angle on that or if i wonder if, how man yeah that's how would we have done it differently or we're right exactly yeah. exactly um, and also there's an absence of information on what this game is so people are desperate to latch on to anything to tell them yes what to expect from yes uh, from yeah. it. um this one comes in from Jordan, uh, Jordan C., uh, who says, uh, technically I have two questions, but I'll keep them brief. Did y'all get any hands-on with Silksong and any any further thoughts if you did? Uh, uh, if it was mentioned in the E3 pods, I forgot. Sorry, they were long and full of very good content. It's hard to remember every detail. We talked about it in our final Same. E3 podcast, but yeah. none of us got hands-on with it, unfortunately. Patrick tried. No, it was the only, only game in that section, Nintendo's booth, that had uh, a line. Right. Every other right. game... You could kind of just scoot up to and get real close on, but yeah, Hollow Knight uh, had a line. But uh, you know, I'm encouraged the fact that it's playable. I feel like that game it was listed as coming soon. 
Yeah. I now I say this with no inside information. I feel like maybe it comes sooner than we thought. My theory, my theory, I think I floated on the E3 podcast was that Hollow Knight was a surprise E3 launch uh, last year. E3 download after the game yeah. had been uh, delayed a little bit for Switch, and that I would not be shocked if summer seems like a very appropriate time for yeah. that game to wrap up development, and I mm-hmm. won't be shocked if. That's also a Nintendo Direct surprise. It's like, and actually, the new Hollow Knight is out now, right now, or in a week, or whatever. Yeah. In a week, like yeah. Cadence of Hyrule or something like yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. actually, you know what? Don't release it during E3 yeah. week because that means I can't play it. <laughs> what you should do is release it on that Friday, like yeah. Cadence of Hyrule. Yep. Right. Download it early and then enough. I'm good. Early at midnight, so we could all download. Don't it Don't let these planes. people yep. <laughs> just at home. Who can't play any of these video games, can't talk to these designers, enjoy a video game that week. Don't do that. Release yeah. it on Friday. It's for maximum personal pleasure. Yes. Jordan also says, I don't think I heard y'all mention Phantom Brigade, that wild-ass mech game that looks like a hybrid of transistors, turn planning, Battletech's mech damage and map view, and into the breach's knowledge of what the enemy will do. So, thoughts. That's the same demo that they had at yeah. PAX. So, if you want to hear us talk about that, go back to our PAX East um uh Kingdom Hearts lore reasons. Yeah. Uh panel. panel. We we spent 30 minutes of that panel right. just talking about games and one I of think those we games. We wrap back around on a post packs panel as well. To like, do more of to it. To do more like a little more of it. But okay. yeah, those two are those are the two to look for. Yeah. Uh that that demo was at the Judges Week and it's the same demo that I played at PAX. Mm. So cool it's a cool demo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for that game, but like that for is sure. that is the thing that that is. Um uh this one's for Patrick because I don't know that we got too deep on it. Maybe we did a little bit. Uh, Paul says, uh, I was curious if you got hands-on with Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Did you hu- did you hunt uh, Banbaro, the giant Tauntaun with antlers, or Tigrex, the yellow and blue wyvern that likes to charge around? And when the game is released, do you think you'll go through the new Master Rank, a.k.a. G Rank, and finish it? Uh, I did. I played an hour. Uh, okay. I had a chance to mess with both those quests. Uh, Bonbaro, who is sort of a giant deer-like creature, and uh, there's an interview I just published uh, up on the site in which I talked to um, the executive producer slash art director and the uh, producer of both World and the new expansion, Iceborne, in which they one of the questions I ask is talking through like how they design a monster, and one of the ones they specifically called out was Bonbaro as being like a character where the designers said, you know, be cool is like when an animal, you know, it charges you that it could like pick up. It's like so intense that it picks up the ground. Like it, wow. it just like grabs things. Like how would we do that? And then that's how they came up with a- attaching antlers. Um, it's where the designers had an idea and then the artist came up with a solution so that the two could kind of uh, work uh, in function. Um, and yeah, I mean, it plays – I guess Monster Hunter. Okay. Um, you yeah. know, like there's, you know, I've. Did you get to use the hammer? Did you, do you, in that demo where they like pick a weapon? No, yeah. They, no, they, they're like, hey, you know, you can start with, you know, whatever default was, but like God. they let me go in, pick the, the hammer. Nice, nice. Um, and yeah, like I, that game is still a hell of a lot of fun to play. The Bombaro is a pretty easy enemy. I think it's like an early, uh, even though this is meant to be more end game content, like there's still sort of like a, a recognition, I think, that a lot of people are going to be returning to the game and yeah. cannot necessarily just j- jump into like a Nergigante like <laughs> level fight uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Bambaro is meant to be sort of like a tutorial level, like, oh, it's a, it's an enemy that charges, you dodge, and you just kind of get your uh, uh, sort of compass back together on how you play that game. So, uh, I like, I want to say that I'll go back to that game because we got so close to the end. I think we were two fights away. 
from the finish, I want to say, when you, Danica, and I were uh, doing some of the endgame stuff in the in the baseline. Um, I don't know. I I don't know that I'll go back. It kind of. I guess it depends on where like the flow of games is at that time. I don't know that I saw enough here. Isn't that September. Yeah, it's September. September on PS4 and Xbox. Um, they the I I got a lot of questions when I went in for my interview. I asked some people if they had questions, and I got a lot of uh, inquiries about the disconnect between the PC and console versions. Like right. the content has been coming much later uh, for the PC stuff to a degree that is a little odd given. You think it would have been synced up by now? Mm-hmm. They have not announced a PC release date for Iceborne. Um, oh. I didn't get any insight uh, into that part of it, uh, unfortunately. Huh. But you know, it's it's it is more Monster Hunter World with like you know the, the ice the, the 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 chain hook or whatever they're calling it is. Uh, it's not on the margins, but it doesn't like fundamentally change the game. So it's, I guess it's sort of like if Austin, if like my friends start playing again, right? Like I'll probably jump back in and check it out. But if it comes at a time where, like, I don't know, a shitload of other things are going on, I could see myself being like, I kind of got enough out of the, like, 90 hours I put in the first time and that I'm excited for the sequel. um, But I may be – it may be enough for me until the sequel because I I don't – I got nothing out of doing the – I want to get full armor sets, like, which is a lot of what you're doing once you've – done the base game before they were adding in like variations on monsters and putting in new creatures. Like a lot of just monster hunter is you beat, you quote unquote beat the game and then you grind for like a d- d- different armor sets and things like that as both a completionist and also to adapt different play styles. And that's just not like, th- that's yeah. not for me. Um, and so if Iceborne is, you know, it does sound like, seem like it's a, it's a full area. I, th- I feel like the bait, they said the base landscape is, bigger than the main region in world. It's like the biggest one they've ever developed. Wow. So I don't know. I, I can see myself wanting to give the answer. It's like, hell yeah, I can't wait to get to Monster Hunter. But in my heart of hearts, I feel like I might be checked out until the sequel comes along. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I like the stuff I see here looks really cool. And if I was still playing that game, I'd be like, yes, oh, I'd be I psyched. Cannot yeah. wait. Mm. But it's just like there's going to be such it's going to be such a busy year. There's so much yeah. stuff to play, and part of what needing to play a bunch of games for coverage means is like it biases you towards true to like experiences that are one. It biases you to new products, which this is. So like it should be in the mix, but two, it biases you towards new experiences and designs that you know the audience is really interested in hearing you talk about. And what's your angle? Like, what am I going to write about? Yeah. Right? Like, so it's like, so it's like you know, for me, it's like okay, if I was going to write about Monster Hunter Iceborne, like, like what do I have to like? I already said what I had to say with World. Where it's like, oh, I'm a newcomer. Like, you know, I've wanted to like this. Like, there's a lot of angles in there. Whereas like Iceborne feels like, you know, that's for. Like the hardcore, like the people who fucking love and are continuing to play this game. And if we had 15 people, it would be easy for me to be sure. like, yeah, Patrick, spend the time on it. But go figure harder. it out. Like you'll find you'll yeah. find an angle if you go in and play yeah. it. Whereas like it's much easier to be like, well, we just had that conversation about Astral Chain. That game comes out August 30th, which right. is really close to when Iceborne comes yep. out. There might be six new angles on Astral Chain that is more for me to chew on faster than than Monster Hunter. But who knows? Like I'm. Uh, September's a long ways away, relatively it is. speaking. It is. It's so September we'll, we'll 6th see. when this is out, right? 6th or 7th, yeah. 6th or 7th, like somewhere. Like, yeah, exactly. That that same week, 
is also Phoenix Point, that that uh, Julian Gollop XCOM uh, game. Like you said, the week before is Astral Chain. I think the week after is Damon X Machina. I'll probably still be playing Fire Emblem at that point. Right. That game yeah. comes out late July, and I bet that's not Jeez. short. Yeah, totally. So there's going to be, it's just like there's a lot all around. Destiny's all in there. Around it. Gears 5 is in there. Jesus. So it's just going to be, it's a big. There's a lot of August Borderlands and 3 games, is in there, which again yeah. is like. Yep. So yeah, there's just there is a lot in that era or in that not era in that uh, period of time. It's that's also make it tough. It also uh, definitely for me at least it, it depends a lot on where that is supposed to fall on the like gear leveling thing because sure. there are ranks after where like the the monsters hit harder, so you need the better gear, etc. Where like if that's like at the very very end of like all those ranks, I wouldn't even be able to attempt the monster right i would love to jump back in right. and just like try it to see what the, how the mon- like how the monsters are different or whatever and how it feels but if i'm gonna have to grind for like 10 20 hours on the older stuff i probably won't ever get around to it man i would hope not because you would you would think that it would be designed in such a fashion that there's a lot of people who are like us that like played it for three months right fell off moved on to the next thing and then iceborne which i mean in a lot of ways, is a sequel. Like it's a, you know, they they've added stuff along the yeah. way, but like rather than doing, you know, region drops, they just said, hey, we'll just do a big ass one time expansion that itself they've already said will have more monsters and updated stuff, like probably for another year before we, you know, inevitably get the uh, Monster Hunter World too. Which right. goddamn, that's gonna look cool as hell on next gen platforms. Like I'm ready for it. Oh yeah. Um, Hell but, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they're handling the transition for for players or if they are at uh, all. Could you imagine us like there's ways in which those areas in Monster Hunter World connect, but you can't actually cross like like there'll be a, a drop down that start like um that starts to get more like rotten that is obviously like in world leading to the next area. Mm-hmm. Imagine if that was all one huge like Space. Space. Well, Iceborne is one big space. Right, right. right. I'm just saying, like, the. If that's like, how it worked. Like, if, if that was. Um, you could start in the ancient still, forest, go over region. to the wildland waste, right. and exactly. like, all like do that. from the same connected like, space. The, yeah. Because, like, the start the start to the, uh, the, the wastes is a connection to the forest. And you can look behind you and see the forest going back right, that way. Right, right, like, right, right. Like, that's the, that's the thing that I think could be really interesting is if, like, there's those. those individual regions become biomes within one large space or something like that. That would be, uh, be interesting. I want, I want more like creature edges. interactions. I feel like yeah, each world scratched, yeah. scratched the surface of like what could be possible. And yet, and at some point, like it was very cool, like for the first like 15 hours when that shit would happen. And then it was just like convenient when you could just take a break and let two monsters fight each other. But it didn't feel like a, it, it didn't feel like an organic system anymore. Like it, right. it didn't feel like you were ex- in a in a an ecosystem. It just felt like that's just a thing that it's a mechanic. Yeah, um, these two things come point. And yeah, I, yeah. I'd Which love like, if they could keep kept pushing towards building a an ecosystem that felt uh, more natural, at least, or gave the gave the creatures more things to do in the spaces while you were running around. That right. is the opposite of the thing I mentioned in what is now the earlier this week's podcast right. uh, about the card game mechanics, and like starting to see the code, so to speak, starting to see the design is that 
while on one hand it can make certain like narrative events seem cooler, it can also make cer- certain moments like that seem more programmatic and right. more like you'd see you can see where all the puppet strings are, and that can well, kind of. And I'm fine with seeing the puppet strings. I just like for them to be more puppet strings. Yep, is totally. really like 100%. because a game you're gonna play a hundred hours, you're, you're gonna see the hands behind the scenes and how, how that stuff connects. I would just love more than just the rumble or whatever it is that it's called when like the animals run into each other. I just like to see just more of that hunting or going out just more variety for their nests. Yeah. 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 Totally. All sorts of different stuff. Make me feel even worse for killing them. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> that is a, the people should go read your your I'm interview with that team. Killed him. Well, I killed Nergagante because you can't capture him, but yeah, <laughs> killed that motherfucker. See, yeah, even you, you that's got true. Blood in your hands. I tried. I tried my best. Uh, this they one, they, yeah, they did, they did. Yeah, you, I think you were to say they they did. T- well, I want to. You know, I only have thirty minutes, but I did try to sneak in a question about sort of the 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 approach to violence in Monster Hunter and the way I framed it was specifically. Uh, you know, it's one thing when this game was on like PS2 or PSP in which the depiction of the creature was like so arcadey that, you know, it felt uh, it was like pretty difficult to like generate empathy for yeah. what was in front of you. Whereas like specifically with World, like the leap um, it took in Fidelity is, is to such a degree that it must be at least a conversation within the team to balance how do you depict them as real creatures when the core loop is about harvesting them basically um and they talked about that and how they try to approach it in the narrative and i don't think they're like overly successful or particularly successful at like making that believable and also things like the arena really undercut (laughs) you know where it's just like yo i just really want to fight this monster over and over so just put it in a fucking arena and let me beat the shit out of it over and over again but um you know it's not nothing it is not though they don't consider that when they're building the game even if i ultimately disagree on the degree to which they take it all that seriously mm-hmm. or at least where they come down on it right right uh people should go read that interview it's a good interview yeah waypoint.vice.com uh this comes in from liz from denver who says a lot of the e3 discourse for me at least has been dominated by cyberpunk 2077 just kind of everything about that game actually gender expression and character creation which is something we didn't actually even get to talk about but came out of some interview last week that they are experimenting with options to allow you to pick uh, different bodies and faces with voices from the other gender selection basically from, from not like locking gender selection who knows how that will turn out in play uh representation of npcs in the game in world ads that are meant to make the player feel uncomfortable it's a game playing with a lot of big complex issues and that brings me to to my question What's the most successful AAA game that has handled big issues well? They don't have to be specifically the same one Cyberpunk is looking at, but I was thinking about other mainstream games and couldn't think of any examples. So I wanted to see if y'all could think of any. Anyways, keep drinking tea and getting lots of sleep. Doing around 18 hours of podcasting can't be easy, but well done on your E3 coverage. Liz from Denver. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. Liz also included a kind note for our tackling of the Cyberpunk stuff, so thank you for that. We try our best. Um, I, the, it's, it's a hard question. The one that I had never played this game, so I don't actually know, but mm-hmm. the one that I've heard mentioned sim- in this like vein was Mafia 3. Mafia 3, the two that come to mind for me are Mafia 3 and Watch Dogs 2. Mm. And both of those come out in the same year, which is huh. interesting. Yeah. We ran a story at the end of the year that was like 2016. In 2016, big games weren't afraid to bow all the politics. Right. TK, TK, TK. Um, the. 
Mafia 3 handles race really, really smartly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the things that it does the best around race and racial politics are mechanical. I think like the inclusion of a cop meter right. <laughs> is so good. The idea of like this cop is looking at you because you were black right. and you were in, in the same space, even if you were not doing anything, you are having police attention directed towards you yep. is so sharp and terrifying. Um, and is is just like a good is just you know, a risky thing to include. Um, I I think that the game does say things about the racial politics of the 1960s and also the racial politics of today, extrapolating from that. With like the distance of time, I still definitely think that it's mostly kind of a grindhouse revenge flick, right? Um, a game rather <laughs> uh, is trying to be that though. Uh, Watch Dogs Two has some big missteps, I will say. But in terms of having a diverse audience, in ter- or not audience, diverse, uh, probably audience too, a diverse uh, set of characters, cast of characters, in terms of having missions where like they are straight up talking about things like the um, the low amount of diversity at tech companies right. and having missions about things that are like uh, companies and, and uh, political factions trying to fix polls. Uh, uh, in terms of just like having a sense and an ethos and a kind of a cultural viewpoint, Watch Dogs 2 is actually really strong. Um, I talked about this on one of the pods that I think Josh, one of the uh, characters in the main cast who is autistic, is handled really well. Um, a lot of my friends uh, who are autistic really like Josh a lot and like think that, that his characterization is really sharp and smart. Um, I know that like I think that just in general their their handling of like this is what this is how people are is pretty good. Right. Um, there are definitely some missteps. There is a trans character who I think is not great. There's also a trans character who I think is rad. Um, mm. There are characters who I think they like play for laughs in a way that like doesn't work for me, but like they're taking a lot of big swings in that game uh, right. in Watch Dogs 2. And many of them are things that I thought they would just flub. And I don't even mean in an offensive way so much as like in a way where it just feels like disingenuous or phony or like, yeah. you know... Uh, you know, hey teens, right. and it's not. Um, so that is the one that stands out for me in recent memory. I think if you open it up to full time, like there's probably something else that felt right at the time, but I don't know what comes out. What yeah. comes? What comes mm-hmm. to mind? Especially when you start thinking about big issues broadly and not just identity, not just like contemporary, the contemporary political moment. Um, if you start thinking about like those sorts of issues i bet you can find some like if you i haven't gone back and played like the initial fallout in a long time but like right. stuff from that right. era planescape torment the games that have like great reputations for general storytelling a lot of the storytelling is about big cultural thematic ideas that are political in nature but aren't necessarily one-to-one representative so i would say like any any analysis or answer should be taking that stuff into account and going back to look at those games um, but nothing else jumps to mind and i'm sure someone is shouting something at their the their one that just thing. like came up that also i haven't played but i heard it in reference to this is spec ops yeah i'm on the side of history that doesn't love spec ops right. honestly yeah i i the people who I know who love Spec Ops, I get why they like Spec Ops a lot. Mm-hmm. But like the big trick of that game is it's hard to get into it without spoiling it. And I don't want to spoil that game. Um, but I, it wasn't that effective for me. Right. 
Um, I think that it's it has something to say about war. I think that separates it, especially from games of that era. Right. It's a, um, it's a big swing in, in the world that exists swing. in. And so yes. I think it got more credit than it probably deserves because of what exists around it, which is yeah. also a testament for what it was trying to do because mm-hmm. there's a right. reason that people don't <laughs> don't what, try what to make Call you of feel Duty bad. Was coming out that time. That would have been in the middle of like the height of Call of Duty. Right. Right. Yes. Like the height of postmodern warfare, right. Black Ops era. I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's one that's right. It, 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 didn't, yeah. it didn't hit as hard for me as it did for other people, but I have an enormous amount of uh, respect for its audacity given how difficult. I mean, it, we live in a slightly different era where maybe we'd, it would be easier to have something like that made. I don't know, but. Um, I appreciate that it exists like profoundly. It, it, at the very least, it led to lots of really interesting conversations um, <laughs> right. that I don't know that we would have had otherwise. Which, um, even if art isn't fully successful, I like its existence like justifies what it attempted to do. Totally. I think. And then the other thing here is like once you take away the AAA space, which once you take AAA away, you're no. overwhelmed yeah. by answers, right? Like at that point, when you're talking about independent and alternative and like single developer games, there are too many to count because yeah. they're all happening <laughs> it's, things. It's, it's why uh, I, I wrote a piece right before E3 about um, sort of uh, unpacking a, a sex scene that was in the most recent episode of Life is Strange, which I've shouted out on this podcast as being really good and really relatable. Um, and I had to make sure I got a line like, in there, like emphasizing, by the way, this is like, um, is impressive. I think this is well done. And for the, the, the aesthetic uh, fidelity that it's playing with is, is part of why it's impressive um, relative to what is surrounds it. But you look anywhere in the independent scene, you will find plenty of like very relatable, um, interesting, realistic depictions of sexual interactions between uh, to you know, people. Um, and yeah. so, like, do, do not have the takeaway of this be like life is strange is groundbreaking because it's the first time we're like showing yeah. sex between teenagers in a way that feels real. It's more given this specific context and what we expect from these types of games. It is impressive and thoughtful. But if you're if you're looking for more of that, there are all sorts of text based, independent based games that have been thoughtful for for many years prior. Yeah, totally. I think that is one of the biggest frustrations it, that you can find sometimes in, in this space is like, and also it can be a frustration that you feel internally, which is a scene like that happens and you want to wave the flag and be like, look at this, this they're doing a cool thing. Yeah. But also in the back of your head, you're like, it's a cool thing that was done by these 30 games last year by independent creators. And I've, you know, sometimes you've shouted about those too and no one cares. But right. it's like, not that not that that story about Life is Strange was like a barn burner <laughs> necessarily either. But right. like people do, you know, it, it. there is a natural bias in the audience too. And it's just like, it can be tough to to uh, contend with that and like draw that attention to the real groundbreaking stuff as hard as we try. Um, so uh, next question. This one uh, comes in from Vehemently, who asked us something we've kind of hit on before, but I want to revisit it just to see if anyone has any updated thoughts, you know, a few days away from it. Um, they write, 
Ever since I was a kid, I've been paying attention to E3. My relationship with the event has had a, had a complete arc where I went from young, childlike glee at announcements to the eventually jaded 20-something reactions you know today. Um, <laughs> yes, y'all radicalized folks on the podcast. But when I think about E3, I tend to get a lot of emotions that have nothing to do with video games. The first memory I come to is graduating from elementary school and being uh, struck with the strange melancholy that I was more focused on the new trailers than the new school experiences to come. I've always had a social lot of social anxiety, so I didn't see a lot of friends outside of school. E3 is just a distant corporate event, but for me, it is the herald of the summer. And with summer being ushered in, along came with it three months of video games, reclusiveness, and air conditioning. Nowadays, when I've chewed through the consumerism and corporate greed, E3 tastes sour and tired. Um, uh, I've, I'm immediately taken back to, this, to the slide from spring into summer and the sadness I associate with it. This is all to ask. Considering that y'all have a far more storied history with E3, do you have any associations with the event that have nothing to do with video games? Hopefully less depressing than mine, lol. Uh, what are they and have they changed over the years? Thanks vehemently. P.S. Sorry for waxing poetic. I think that's fair. I'm mostly – I'm really curious about Kato who – this yeah. is your first E3. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, I think we have three different eras of this, right? Like I've no, been nowhere near as many as Patrick but I've been to more than you, Kato. Yeah. So your first one was like my fifth or sixth or whatever and then it was Patrick's 17th. 15th? Uh, 12th? I don't know. 20th, I think. 20th. Jesus, Jesus. Christ. Even my most excessive guess was, was wrong. So let's start with you, Kato. <laughs> Do you have any associations? Like, coming into it, what was your association with E3? And then, like, how was it for, for you? Like, how did it feel? I E3 was always strange because the only part of it I ever really got into were the the – the conferences mm. and like I almost never engaged with any on the floor stuff. So I didn't actually know what the floor looked like or what that was going to be like. Uh, I actually assumed there would be more of those. There were, there were these random like meeting rooms in like the back corners where people were taking like closed doors meetings. I thought there would be more of that actually on the floor, but it turns out most of that's in other places in the convention center, mm -hmm. which makes sense. But um, yeah, it was, it was weird how much of a convention it already felt like. Like even when I go to like a anime convention or a comic book convention, um, depending on the size of the panel, sometimes you're waiting in line for an hour. I mean, E3's lines got up to like three hours, which is like beyond anything I've ever seen at a, a regular convention. But it was still something that seemed familiar in a way that I didn't expect it to be. Um, but apart from that, it was also weird because, and everyone kept saying this, and even I, having no frame of reference for what the show floor looked like, felt like it was sparse. It felt like a, a it was it did not live up to any of the expectations <laughs> I had because it I always thought it would feel bigger than it actually did, and this is because it's a thin year and possible. Also, like I mean, we keep mentioning that there's like rumors that it might be the the last year even though they they did put up numbers at the end right like see you next year whatever what was it the ninth to the 11th or whatever but yeah something like that yeah it's just weird to go to a thing that feel like it feels like it's dying even though it's my first one <laughs> that is pretty much on point for me i like Growing up, I knew I wanted to do something with games and my my family knew I wanted to do something with games. My dad made it a point year after year to be like, 
I wonder if we can get you to E3, right? I know, Patrick, you had a very similar experience with your dad. It never lined Mm -hmm. up for me. And part of the reason it never lined up for me is because I never really pushed for it. I was always like, I was always someone who was like, I'll make the best with what I got. And I, Mm -hmm. I know that like this is a that would be a big ask also i was saving my big ask for if the eagles ever make it to the super bowl dad you have to take it to the super bowl. <laughs> like dead ass that was 100 percent the thing i was saving my big dad you have to make this happen right for. um that didn't happen until i was too old for that request <laughs> to go through uh but but so e3 had this kind of mythological position in my head until I would say I was in college when I think I guess the the two things I'd point to one is I remember the college the, the year where uh, Microsoft released game demos on the Xbox 360. They released like a Lost right. Planet demo and something else. Oh my god! Lost and that Planet. shattered E3 <laughs> for me because it immediately introduced the a timeline for the end of E3. It was like oh oh I, I don't need to be there. They can just send this stuff. They can just, which isn't, which is way more simplistic than the truth. Which is right. like, no, put, putting together a demo build for a game is so much different than putting together a build ready for a theater presentation or even a sixty-minute hands-on demo. Like the second you release a downloadable, like executable, oh, you open God. yourself up to so much more. Yeah. Um. And so, like, but, but in that moment, I was like, wait a second. We could live in a world where none of – and it was also one of the first years where really I was watching the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not streaming all the way through, but trailers were being uploaded. G, it was definitely airing on G4. All the major conferences yeah. were. And here's the other half of this was podcasts hit. Um, you know, when I was in college was uh, from 2003 to 2007. And that is the era where like GameSpot was doing podcasts. Like on the spot was really blowing up, and then also the One Up Show, One Up Yours. One Up Show was video, not not podcast, but One Up Yours, GFW Radio. Um, those podcasts were like so influential in me understanding the games industry as mm-hmm. an industry, which is something like I I like underline all the time. Like I, it is an industry. I know that like it can be in our most in our most like aspirational moments, we can want to pretend that it's not an industry and that like we just talk about games as a medium, but it's a fucking industry. You look at E3, yeah. that is well, both that can is, be true, right? Both like are you, true. You can, it is it yeah. exactly a hundred percent. The medium uh, exists within an industry, you can create right. it on multiple levels. Good yeah. luck creating an artistic industry under capitalism that isn't or an artistic medium under capitalism that isn't industrialized and turned into yeah. a, you know, a, an industry and commodified and et cetera. Um <laughs> Uh, good luck. If you can do it, God bless. Don't tell me about it because the if second somebody, I cover it, it's if somebody's an screaming fine art, uh, let oh, me tell you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely an industry. Um, and so there, that process of listening to those podcasts, listening to people, um, you know, on those shows, kind of demystify what E three was. I think a lot about like the poolside uh, E3 podcasts oh, from, the figs. The, yeah. from the fig mm-hmm. at, at on on one up. Um, and the ways in which, and then obviously, you know, as I got older, Giant Bombs coverage, especially the the kind of like couch guests, but even before the couch guests, there was a looseness to all of that, a sloppiness that, re- and I mean that in the most positive sense, a realness that oh, it, removed it was, the it was, sheen. The people there were sloppy as well. I, as I, that was there, I've don't. seen those videos. Uh, uh, but like, oh, wait, these are people. Who make decisions with big budgets, right. but they're but they are just people. Um, these God. are companies that are like trying to sell me a thing. Like that cynicism that uh, vehemently speaks about here, it is not. Um, 
it does not come from nothing. It comes from an, an increase in visibility and transparency right. at like, oh yeah, this is people, they're trying to sell me some shit. Like that's all this is. Yeah. What, and, and it can be fun because you can start to play, you can start to get excited about the gamesmanship of it all, but you have to keep that in, in relation to like, what is the purpose? Um, and so for me at this point, so I guess what I'm saying, the actual setup to all this is I went to my first E3, which was like, as soon as I joined Giant Bomb, like literally three weeks after, like I started, wow. I started June first or something like that, or yeah. May May thirtieth, and then went to the E3 immediately, um, and was broke as shit. I don't even think one of my paychecks had cleared yet. Damn, uh, maybe one, maybe one, uh, and it was like I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna be cool. I'm gonna be whatever. This ain't nothing. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, it was. It was like not a big deal, like because I was surrounded by people who had covered it for years. But to another degree. What I found so surprising was how energized it made me. Uh, we've talked about this before a little bit that like I love going to E3 and covering E3 because it puts me in a certain mode. It puts me into like finals Austin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like game three Austin. Like right. I'm 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 I show up to play at E3 in a way that it's hard. The only other time of the year year that I ever show up in that way and I feel so energized is game of the year season and then friends at the table finale season. <laughs> right. It's like I have to use everything in my body, in my brain, to make something work, to make it happen. Um, those, the reason I can go until t- I could go to four a.m. on a podcast if I had to, and I can I can find that, and I don't because I realize <laughs> yeah. not ev- that's not fair for everyone else I work with. But I could do it, and I would enjoy doing it that one week. Out that schedule for next week. No, dude. no, we should not do that. It's bad. What we should figure out no, is no, no, no. I oh, said oh. we should got to figure out the schedule a little better next yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we booked for. We still have seven people. Yeah, we have four people. Yeah, it is harder to do. Um, shout outs to Danica for for being our our oh fifth person on the bench, yeah. our, our invisible fifth Honestly. player driving us around this year. Um, but like, yeah, so, so I had this experience for years where it was like, this is me at my best in some ways, because I'm going to book myself a ton of stuff to see. I'm going to meet a bunch of cool people. I'm going to schmooze. I'm going to like pull out of my, my, I'm going to be willing to pull down on that battery and like drain my battery all the way, but I'm going to get like a good efficiency rating out of it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's not going to be a tiring dinner party where I feel exhausted at the end of the day. And also like, I didn't even really have any good conversation. It's going to feel like great because I'm going to see so many people. I'm going to play so many games. I'm going to talk to developers about the stuff they're excited about. I'm going to talk to you, the people listening, and like try to say something thoughtful. Um, and all of that for, for the last four years was like rad. This year, less so. This mm-hmm. year, eh, uh, I didn't see that much that I was excited by. I, If you ask me what my favorite thing I saw was, it would be hard for me to give you an answer. Um, Star Wars. I guess, but like by default. Right, exactly. And that's not fun. No. <laughs> um, you know, the stuff that I'm most excited about is out in a month or two. I'm excited for Fire Emblem. I'm sure, excited for sure. Deus, or, Deus Ex Machina, uh, Damon Ex Machina, <laughs> uh, which is the play there. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, you know, but but I didn't have that feeling of being, I could still do the podcast all night. I could still go out and like get good meals and go to the Giant Bomb <laughs> stuff. And like that part of it was still there. But I don't feel rewarded in the way that I normally do coming back from it. I think a big part of that was it's quieter. I didn't see as much. I was so disillusioned by the state of the show mm-hmm. where like even in the the context of this is a big marketing display, I just don't think it was a particularly good one this year. And so like the gamesmanship level is just like was low. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was tough. And also, we did it with a smaller team. And it turns out doing it with a smaller team means needing to do a little bit more. Even And, and in this year, also seeing less. Yeah. And that was frustrating. Or hearing about less. So, you know, that is that is me and my weird arc. Patrick, 20 of them. With that, mm. what do you what do you get out of an E three like 20, this one after twenty? Fuck. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my first one. I mentioned this before. My first one was E three ninety eight in Atlanta. It was the second one in Atlanta. Brad and I, Brad Shoemaker and I, were briefly chatting about that as we were reminiscing back. His first one was E three ninety seven, which was the first one in Atlanta. E three had been in L A. Came to Atlanta for, I believe, convention, political, sales reasons. Then came back to L.A. after that. Um, and so E3 is, uh, is strange for me, like especially this year was especially sort of strange, like even absent the the strangeness of the show as a show. Um, it's more like when I think back to E3 98, you know, that's, you know, my dad got me there. Um, the, I, you know, I, I didn't make an ask as much as I just put it into the world and my parents were weirded out and said, well, we should like support his interests, which is like a pretty incredible thing to have done because I think a, a lot of that was what set me on the path um, for better or worse uh, that I've been on uh, ever since. Um, and so it's weird to go to E3, think about 20 years. Like 20 is like just such a big number. Like I missed, the only one I've missed in the last 20 years was uh, my first year at Kotaku in which I joked to Steven Tito, like I haven't gone for so long, I can miss one. And then he told me, like, all right, you're not going this year. And I was like, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wow. That was my fucking streak, bro. He's like, well, we already booked other people. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's fine. Um, and it was fine. It's not, you know, there's, it was no big deal. But um, so this one being my, my 20th, like I, you know, and then coming back two days later, Father's Day. Right. Um, like I've wrote about this a couple of days ago that uh, like I have a very complicated relationship with Father's Day in which, you know, I'm incredibly proud to be part of my daughter's life, but um, especially before she was around, I think it's been seven years since my dad passed, in which uh, I cannot help but mostly on that day just be bitter and angry at people celebrating a thing that I don't get to have anymore, and or to have it in a different way um, without an actual person to celebrate it with. And so the E3 is like, like th- thinking of it in those historical terms, like a real weird mix of emotions, especially with... Father's Day, like immediately thing that I'm running into when when I got back, just because I have such a personal history with the show that is separate from my intellectual or uh, like a broader assessment of like what it means, like vis a vis the industry. It's like I owe E3 like a lot of my life, and then I owe E3 like a lot with my relationship with my father, and so it's like I just have a lot tied up in my history with this specific like weekend or week in June. Um, Anyway, I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm, it's a, it's a bitter, you know, a a sort of a joyous melancholy, if that makes any sense in which I um, like, I I owe so much to it at the same time. uh, You know, it's very bittersweet to revisit it um, sort of that, that through that long lens of time. But, um, and in some ways, maybe that's why I'm ready for it to just like fucking close shop and move on. Because in some ways, going to E3 like just kind of like you know uh, gnaws at like kind of an old wound that yeah. uh, I don't think about that much during the week because Dustin Walker's keep me up till two in the morning uh, talking <laughs> about video games. But no, I mean you know, and, and separate from all that, um, like I, I'm the same way. We're like I'm so tired these days generally just because of being a parent and not sleeping that much. 
And like on an average week, it's like, you know, 1130. And I'm like, whew, I've already, this is too late. I need to go to bed. And E3 week, it's like, nah. Like actually, maybe if I text someone and they're like, yeah, come out, we're getting drinks. They're like, let's go. Like I feel like I'm in college again where it's like I could just live forever. Um, and I could only have the energy to do that like once a year. And E3 is that week where it's just, all right, I was up till three. Whoops, I have a 9.30 a.m. appointment. I'll sleep Jesus. for four hours, get up and get in that cab and go. Um, and you find a way to do it. So, yeah, that is yeah. that's E3. You missed the best meal at E3, by the way, maybe. I went to tell you this. We went to oh. that, we went to Pine and Pine and Crane, is that yeah. what it was called? Which is the Taiwanese the, the place. The Thai place? Oh, I got God. really Taiwanese, good. Taiwanese. So good. I got really good barbecue. Thieves. Mm. The, uh, there's a receipt on the Why ground are you somewhere. The I went to like a really okay. good barbecue joint in LA. <laughs> so I did have decent food. It was the barbecue joint was uh mm, well, the food was good. It was surrounded by a Degrassi trivia night. Uh-huh. Um in which very enthusiastic, specifically one very enthusiastic table that seemed, I'm into a lot of trivia. Sure. But this one table was winning everything where it was no longer fun for anybody else at <laughs> <laughs> the Degrassi <laughs> trivia night. That's very funny. And maybe that table should have just let someone else win is the vibe I was getting. Wow. Maybe. Maybe That's sit out one funny. of the rounds. Was this, was this, was this horse thief? Yes. There you go. Sounds good. I would go there. That sounds delicious. Um, this one I'm gonna skip, but it Booker Booker wrote in uh-huh. to say Yeah, Booker. What did Booker say? It's a long email, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Okay. But I will uh just read this one section. Um please don't take this the wrong way, but be good and rewatch it is sort of a clunky show name. It's sort of awkward to recommend to people who don't know the original reference. I was wondering if y'all mm-hmm. thought about rebranding. Uh, uh, now I present to yeah. you a new name. That's what we're doing right now. Oh, what's the name? Their name suggestion is what is watch good internet. I <laughs> they replaced a, a reference with, with a, a different. different <laughs> it's not a bit. Watch a good internet. internet. Watch good internet doesn't roll off the tongue. There's a long. Does it explain? <laughs> yeah, of course it explains. <laughs> That's good. It also references a beloved catchphrase. It doesn't currently turn up any Google results. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, it stands alone as a phrase that conveys what the show is. I'm not saying that Be Good and Rewatch It is like a perfect name, but it does say rewatch right in the name, which yeah. helps. Um, feel the words it rolls on your off the lips. Tongue. Feel the words on your lips. What a way to start a show. Watch good, internet. It's me. <laughs> and then in brackets, Booker has written talent name. <laughs> Good. You know what? I do want to hear. XD. I want to hear Rob say, <laughs> "Watch good, watch internet. good internet." I can't. I can't imagine. Deep, insert deep sigh. So that was. Uh, that's a choice. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's you know what not. this? You know what Booker has discovered is branding things is extremely mm-hmm. difficult. It's really hard. It's true, which is really why hard. when you come up with a good one. You cut it out of the podcast and put it in a document. <laughs> that document gets getting bigger every day. <laughs> I had a good one at E3. I had a really good one at E3. I don't remember what it is. Fuck. I'm not going to say it here. Don't worry about Start it. Start with a the. Yeah, I remember what it's about. I just don't remember what the title is. Anyway, that we cut that, right? I can't. <laughs> Shit. Which one was it? 
It was. Was it day three? It was. What if we have to do a lore podcast? But was it day else? three? Yeah. Who could say? Yeah, it was the last one. It was the last yeah. one. So definitely so. didn't pull that's, that shit out. <laughs> that shit's out there already. Out Someone there. made that I'm podcast. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I missed it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, let's keep moving here. Willie from California with a short, shorty, but a goody. Hit me. Did the gamers win? <laughs> uh, another. I saw another one on Twitter. It, that's close to this also. Yeah. Is E3 for the gamers? E3's definitely for... Yeah, think about that, though, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure it's for the gamers. I don't think it's for the gamers. Look, I don't know if the not gamers yet. won, but I know, that, I know that Elon Musk lost, and so, you know what? I'll you take what? what I can God get. God bless. <laughs> finally, finally a victory for everyone. Near is so many things. Oh. It's a, it's, it's, and it's also this now. Thank you. Thank you, 2B. Thank you, 2B. God. Glory to mankind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people should play near. Near is good. Near Automata is good. Um, this, is a, this is a suggestion from Craig from Philly. Hey, Waypoint Gang. It sounds like the show floor this year is particularly underwhelming compared to past years. Companies like Sony and Nintendo have moved away from doing big theater-filling keynotes, instead choosing to stream a series of announcements directly to fans. To make up the difference, it seems like the show is shifting the focus to consumers for manufacturers and retailers. So my question is, what if E3 happened every few years rather than every year? With PAX likely a better fit for the player-focused hands-on expo role, do we really need the business side of things to gather together annually? Uh, what do you think would be the pros and the cons of such a change? Keep up the great work, Craig from Philly. My gut here yeah, is like... There's, a, there's a reason you do things annually because yes. Yes. things can be plugged in based on what companies have ready and the idea of like planning out two years, what you're going to show marketing wise is just not companies think on an annual yes. basis yeah. in terms of how they, and so do companies investors. That, that's how, uh -huh. right. And that is specifically, yes. that's how investors work. And so, and even the, uh, you know, the, the investors that run like the Los Angeles convention center, like everything just runs on an annual cycle. So yeah. I understand where they're coming from. They're like, yeah, maybe it would make sense make, every make two years. Make it the Olympics. Not... Make it, yeah, totally. Right, totally. There's so or much a generational else. thing. Every five years we get together for That'd E3, be sick. But I would no. love a super E3. <laughs> we get those. <laughs> sure. Those are just good E3s. Right. Um, which this one was not necessarily. Right. Um, somebody else did uh, write in, uh, you know, related to that actually, and said a lot of stuff for early uh, 2020, this is from Corey. A lot of stuff from early 2020 was announced at this year's E3. Is this indicative of everyone trying to get their last games out for the console generation, for this console generation, uh, before we get new boxes next fall slash winter? And if so, should we be expecting a lot of the for the launch lineups for the new consoles next year? I think it'll be actually a pretty strong launch lineup for these consoles because of I think the a lot continuity. of these, these games are going to be like pretty mature relative yeah. to. Right. Uh, I mean, that was true of the. PS4 and Xbox One to a greater degree than if then, you remember the lineups yes. for like the Xbox 360, you know, PS3, stuff like that. I think at this point, the, the cycle is such that, um, like, am I, again, this is not inside information, but like, are you going to be shocked if like Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is announced next E3 and comes early 2021? You're like, wow, that's quick for a, you know, it's like, well, it's not. That game came out at that point four years ago. That actually, you know, makes sense for where it would drop. So I, you know, I, I will say informed speculation that like when I was chatting with someone um, who would know about, well, maybe E3 just won't be around next year. And they were like, there's a shitload of stuff that's going to get announced in here that people are going to lose their minds over. 
And I've heard that specifically related to Sony twice that their Sony is holding back a lot software wise that right. people are going to be excited about. So yeah. Um, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Super curious to see how that all shakes out. I think next year's E3, if there is a next year's E3, which they've announced dates for. Yeah. We'll see. There will be an E3 of some, like, There will whatever. be events. There will be an E3 There, there will year. be the broad category of thing, which is a focused there will be time. A week. There will be a week mm-hmm. where people are at a place, where people are seeing games. What configuration that looks like, still to come. I'm not betting on and E3 I, as it is being... E squared C. You know? The electronic entertainment conference. Has anyone gone back to see if there were E3 dates announced before the Santa Monica year? Do you know what I mean? I don't. Like, yeah, did they right. say we'll be back next year, baby? I don't remember. Or did that get announced as the end of E3? We'll have to look it up. We'll have to do that. Did you see the fan bite tweet about the dates? No. They just took a picture of the of the like see you next year with the with the comment with the caption what is dead may never die. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Great. Perfect. Fair. Um, I'm excited for next year. I love fucking console cycle. Yeah, that's like my favorite. Yeah. Of, you know, of It'll covering be... video games, like covering video games, like yeah. the part of my job that I do, man, next year is going to be so much fucking fun. <laughs> it's going to be weird, man. It's going to be, it's going to be, oh, they're going to make promises on stage. They're going to be shade thrown. Let's go. Let's go. I, Sony needs to have a killer year this year to get them into a place where that stage presentation is going to be exciting. Right. In terms of just like building up rapport again, in terms of like, it has been a few years since they had people on stage that could talk about what Sony's, what the Sony PlayStation meant. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. that is all Microsoft has been doing for the last few years is like, hey, we're fixing, we're fi- we fucked up. I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to delete it, uh, but uh, we're fixing it. <laughs> they deleted the fucking Connect, so they you sure know, it's working. They did. They did. Um, Here's a quick one from Dennis. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Dennis wants to know if we had a chance to look at The Sinking City. That's out this month, so we didn't yeah. look at it at the show floor. Um, we'll have coverage of that later this month. So I just wanted to, to hit that really quickly. Um, uh, Joel from Illinois says, "So uh, Sony not being there complicates things, but did you get a sense of which platform is more actively pursuing indie devs? I'm guessing Nintendo, but mostly based on Cadence of Hyrule and a sizzle reel in their presentation. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. I think it depends on what you mean by pursuing, because Microsoft <laughs> is very interested in acquisition. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's... I think develop. I mean, part of um, the arc of like indies this last hardware cycle is that." Sony, Microsoft wasn't particularly interested. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like, hey, fuck off after Indies had been a huge part of bolstering the Xbox 360's success. Um, PS4 was very welcoming. It was an easy platform to develop on, and they had a lot of, like, outreach. They were going to developers being like, we want you on our platform. We want you on our platform first. We want you with exclusive content here. We're going to pay for the rights to do that. Yep. Um, and then about mid-cycle, when Sony sort of established their dominance, they said but what if we were more like Microsoft and we didn't care so much about that stuff and we're just a de facto market leader? And then Nintendo came in and sort of adopted more of what Sony had been doing before, what Microsoft had done the previous generation in which they were doing a lot of active outreach and the Switch is just a platform where people want to are ravenous to buy games. Yeah. Like I would not be shocked if the attach rate on Switch is significantly higher, especially right now, 
relative to other platforms, which is why I think you see indie developers prioritizing Switch in a way that is both reactionary to Nintendo and their outreach and them putting indie games on the same stage next to, you know, Breath yep. of the Wild 2 or whatever, um, but is also just a financial uh, thing. I think while it is harder for games to break through, it is still the case that if you have to make a bet on any of the platforms, it's like if we could choose one where we think we might take off, Switch continues to be like your best bet if you don't get a check from Epic. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm so curious to see how there's kind of building off a number of questions that came in, how game streaming and also game pass are going to interact with these specific types of small indie games. Um, because you look at something like void bastards and outer wilds coming out on, um, game pass last month, uh, this month, whatever whatever day it is. It was last month. I don't know if that's true. Are you sure? It was an end of May? I don't I couldn't tell you anymore. Was it's it? all it's all blur to me. What are months? What are days? I mean that's the May sun 29th. goes up, sun goes down. That's, that's out of wild, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so so yeah, the the um I'm curious how those will interact. If if mm-hmm. what and I'm the thing I'm most curious about with something like Game Pass specifically is what are those rates like? Right. Is that sustainable? And more importantly, is it sustainable long term? Because a lot of times what happens in a situation like this is you sign that deal now to start building out your catalog and these early deals are really good. You know, people are jump at the opportunity to be part of that right. and to get eyes on their stuff. But long term, do those rates hold out? Do, does is it does it continue to be to be fair in the long run? Or once there's a, a library um, and a lot of internal stuff happening. Do those rates continue to be good? Um, and also, how long does that stuff stay on the platform? Like, yeah, we haven't had the major thing yet of a well-loved game leaving Game Pass or being pulled somehow from PS Plus because PS Plus doesn't work that way, right? PS right. Plus specifically gives you those games month to month. I mean, gives you a license for those games month to only month. Only if you click through and actually yes. get yes. it too. Yes. So. yes, totally. But like that is the we're gonna have that happen at some point. We're right. going to have some game that's beloved be pulled from one of these services, um, and that will be a, a big test of like what we think about those servants services at the time. That's a fun thought experiment, at least. Um, uh, da, da, da. We did not. None of us played Fall Guys, right? No, but should we take what? a break? Let's take a break while I Google what the fuck Fall Guys is. We'll be back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Guys, ultimate knockout flings hordes of contestants together. Oh, this was at the PC gaming show. 
or at the Devolver. It was on the Devolver show. Devolver was a Devolver was a show. <laughs> I it was at Devolver. This is the least Devolvery game though. It's very bright and colorful. Hmm. It looks like um like Takeshi's Castle or something. Oh, uh, yeah, it's bright yeah. and colorful little like little like <laughs> or as it's known in the states extreme <laughs> what yeah. is it MXC? MXC most extreme <laughs> elimination challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout flings hordes of contestants together online in a mad dash through round after round of escalating chaos until one victor remains. No, no, I'm sorry, Kip, we did not see that game. So it's a Battle Royale game. Game, yeah. Of, yeah. But, like, game show? But game show. It's, huh. a, it's a Battle Royale game show game. Huh. Um, all right. Uh, here's a good one. From Darren. One question that I don't think you spent too much time on during E3 was the issue of Shenmue 3 announcing its Epic <laughs> Game Store exclusivity. To give some context as to why I asked this question, I'm not a big PC gamer and predominantly play mostly on console at the moment. That said, when I look at the discourse around Epic Game Store, I see one that engenders a lot of ill will toward the platform from PC gamers. Whilst I've taken some, uh, some time to understand some of the reasons for, uh, for this, will... Sorry. Whilst I've taken some time... To understand some of the reasons for this will, for this ill will, I think, mm -hmm. such as an always-on requirement for using EGS. Uh, some of the criticism seems like the somewhat new platform of EGS doesn't have all the features of Steam. Uh, in some cases, this could be a problem, but in the instance of a completely single-player experience like Shenmue, it seems disingenuous to discredit a new competing platform for not having features like communities or messaging. Additionally, I would have thought that the main thing Kickstarter backers wanted from backing Shenmue 3 uh, was Shenmue 3, not Shenmue 3 on Steam only. Would the crew care to expand on their own thoughts on this debacle and whether or not they believe the outrage is justified? Thanks. Uh, and that comes in from D. I, the Epic Games discourse right now is so exhausting to me. Um, neither I will say with the Shenmue the, thing, you, you backed it. Yeah, People back yeah. for a platform. You paid right. money, yes. and you were yes. told, I backed this to get it on Steam. And Steam, especially now more than ever, is a specific platform choice as opposed to just the PC place. And so I I have a certain sympathy for people who are like, I backed, the, I gave you my money <laughs> right. to, play to play it on it Steam, on. partially because maybe uh, I like all the stuff that Steam has built in. Look, like it, you like let's say I have my Steam link. I want to play Shenmue on my PC, on my TV. I have my setup here. You can do that through the Epic Game Store, just for people who don't know, because I figured this out with Outer Wild, is that you can launch a non-Steam game with some trickery uh, to make it work on a Steam link, so you can uh -huh. still play it on your PC through Steam. But anyway, that's all just to say, like, there is a certain infrastructure to Steam, as flawed as that platform is, and as many frustrations as I have. I don't blame people for saying, I paid for money to get it on Steam. Now you're saying, because you cut a backroom deal three years later because this game is way more expensive than you claimed it was going to be at the start. Now it's just on Epic. Um, and the response has been poor, right? Like they're, they put out a statement, I think a couple of days ago that was uh, to the effect of we've heard your concerns. We're looking into it and it's like, okay, like that means you didn't really <laughs> think this through. You kind of just yeah, thought like, yeah. it, like cool. Yeah, like no you deal. just be happy with the code that you get. And you know, that's Shenmue three. Be happy it's existing. <laughs> right. God. Um, God. <laughs> I will yeah. say, uh, <laughs> oh my God. unattributed quote, uh, because I don't know how this person will ultimately portray their impression of the game uh, at in, in their respective outlet, 
But just talking with a colleague in the industry who saw that game at E3, the, the, their takeaway was that was the worst demo I have seen at E3 in the last three years. So I wish I would have seen that demo. Now. So yeah, I do. I that was like that's the Fuck. biggest endorsement you could have ever given uh, for me to want to go see Shema Three, a uh, series I have no uh, attachment uh, to. But yeah, you know, I mean, I it's I, I like it. It is a little. It it does. I will admit to a little strangeness over. It's like okay, like it's so. And some of all, as a reporter, I like transparency. Yeah. I like the fact that it's just like yo, we're taking a check and we're going there. We don't know yep. how much that check is. So on some level, it's not transparent. But it's like it is a purely like monetary transaction that is uh, purer than like what happens like with say, you know, like Destiny exclusive raids and weapons. Yeah. Where like there's a yeah. they call them co marketing agreements in which they are paying for exclusive content, but you're yeah. not like paying for the funding of like a weapon. You're agreeing to like put X amount of marketing dollars behind something. In exchange exit, for yeah, yeah. you're yeah, literally buying on that platform advertising time. You're literally right. saying, yeah. "Hey, we're gonna pitch in with getting the we're gonna help market this game and put it on." Destiny will be at the PlayStation, uh, right? But also E3 in the, conference in and the, in return, and also in the NBA Finals, right? But that's literally where that money is going. Right. Is like the the like television dollars, and that's where there's like the PlayStation logo at the end of that stuff right. too, right? It's like we're part of our big marketing spend this year. Um, it's so weird. Like, I, I think that we could do a three, three hour podcast just on the Epic Game Store Steam stuff that I, it's so big to get into, especially because when you start to unpack a lot of it, it ends up going to some places that are like, it's a lot of people like what they like. They like what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And then it's often a lot of people reaching for some shit where they are not thinking where they are reaching. Mm. I think uh, there's a lot of, like, weird racist undercurrent around China with the Epic Games Store <laughs> that is, like, rough, um, that people are like, I just don't like it, and it's because Tencent. It's all Tencent money. And it's like, right. oh, please what? listen to yourselves, please. There are There is also real feature discrepancy. Sure. Also, I, I have come out and said before that I think some of the stuff that's planned for the way the Epic Game Store is going to work around things like um, – uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, da, 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 like it's the creator stuff, right? The creator stuff specifically. It's right. like there's a specific word that I'm thinking that I'm Aff trying to find. Affiliate stuff. The affiliate yeah. stuff like weirds me out, and I don't love uh, someone who creates content in this space. Yeah. Um, there's stuff that I think is worth being like ah. Uh, I understand why a person would have a preference. That is what I get 100. percent I yeah. I get why you like ah. I don't want to open. My friends are here. I, my friends sure. are here already. I wish this thing was on this this other thing I already use. I already got to open fucking Uplay. Right. I want another but I, one. But that's the thing. <laughs> but also, I already opened Uplay. I already opened Origin. <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's my preference it's not, is it's, playing it's a game well. It's not that well. big of a fucking leap. Like it's I, I guess not that big of a leap. Like when we start talk, like we start breaking it down, they're like individual arguments, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's okay. So it's a my that's like I can see how that'd be annoying. But yeah. like at the end of the day, yes, like it often feels like people complaining about some shit that's like bro realize how good you have it right now like this you got to find something new to be upset about uh in a way that i just can't well you know, i'd be curious if, if someone wants to write in and maybe you are one of these people maybe you could maybe articulate it <laughs> you know what Austin doesn't want to no. see it you know what i'm gonna do is hit delete i don't Damn. care i don't like I've read those takes. I've read the takes. I, I read them. I've well, I guess I'm trying to find is there is there a version of it that doesn't just feel like people 
whining to a degree that I just do not have the time for. Where it's like, on one hand, you can be like, okay, yeah, I get it. And on the other, be like, well, come the fuck on. Like, like really? Like, th- this is what we're spending our time? Again, like, I understand all... preference. The thing that I want to underscore yeah. is I understand sure. preference. The thing I don't understand is being like, oh, I'm not going to buy or this game Or being lied now. to, right? Like, being like, sure. I paid for a thing. Yes, 100% and with it's you. it's over here. Yes. That's all understandable. That fucking sucks. It sucks. But also, if I was a Shenmue stan, which I think you need to have been to pay money for that Kickstarter, because that never looked good. Uh, and I was like, fuck this. Like, I can't, if I can't play it on Steam, I I'm waited off. 22 years, and I'm going to wait 22 more, because that's how long it's going to take to get on Steam. I'll wait as long as it, no, just go fucking play it. On. Yeah. And also, the other half of this is like, it's not like Valve is this pristine company. No, like, no we just, we, it's just they, uh, you know, your 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 friend one day is the villain the next until yeah. the yeah. cycle goes all over anew. Yeah. And I still like in a thousand foot view of it, you know, let them fight is how I look at it. Yep. Like I'm <laughs> um I'm glad some developers that are smaller are getting fucking paid. Um because the ecosystem on Steam got to a point where that was really difficult ecosystem to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's like, hey, you can Get that check, you know, go get paid, you know, for that year or six months or whatever the exclusivity that you signed. Uh, good, good for you, I guess. And also, like, Steam has needed a punch in the nose. And I like that there's a little blood on their shirt over this. And yep. I want to see that will ultimately, I think, will look back in five years and be like, yeah, okay, there's a lot of annoyances. But ultimately, hopefully, it resulted in something better for like yeah, the industry, like the capital I industry of like how these games are sold, released, distributed. Fuck it, let's all go to itch. Let's all go to itch. Let's all go to itch. Itch is great. Yeah, shout outs to itch. Uh, <laughs> Toshkin writes in and says, "Is Watchdogs Legion surveillance state posed as an equal aggressor towards all citizens? Does that create erasure of the way immigrant, bla- uh, brown slash black, queer slash trans, Muslim peoples are terrorized today by the security state and would be more so in any fascistic regime?" This is going to be one of those questions where it's like, I think it's a great question to have going into that game to look to see if it does that. Right. I do know that that's a game that seems like it wants to tackle deportation as like one of its core topics, which to me suggests that in the narrative, maybe they will talk about this. But I'm curious if in the gameplay systems that comes up at all. Well, right. like so, for example, I remember in in all the demos at E3 that people play that Austin and I spent an hour with. Um, you started as I forget the the older woman's name. Um, it was a different woman for for everybody. We all did get a different older woman. Right. Okay. 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 Oh, right. 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 Because it randomly generates. Game. Anyway, so yeah. the older woman that you've seen in the marketing in the in the uh, the reveal trailer from E three. Um, I remember us internally re- remarking like, oh, I wonder if the the levels of the the game's awareness of the the look of a character, the appearance of a character, yes. will take into account. If you're playing an elderly woman and let's say you're doing some sneaky shit, are you just – is the systems of the game less likely to raise suspicion over an elderly woman doing something that, you know, a young kid you would immediately like start like zeroing in on? And the developer said no. Like the, the, the systems do right. not work to that level. My, I, 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 my takeaway from that is that the answer to this question is probably no. Um I, and I think you're right, Austin, that it will probably be addressed in the broader narrative. I don't know that, like, if you play 
It's not going to do the Mafia Three thing. If you play, right? if you play a brown person of like Middle Eastern right. descent, that I don't know that the game is going to be like, hey, by the way, like you've got hack plus twenty, but also like <laughs> racist plus five, and right. it means that like people are around yeah. you. Like that's the stuff that the stuff that it is doing. Is, uh, the one place where I think it could do it. So the two things that come to mind for me: one is there is the stat for how likely someone is to be pro deadsec. And one of the things right, I talked right. about was like, hey, this person's job is that they're a corporal in the military. That predisposes them to having a low perception of deadsec. They do not by default mm. like deadsec. Um, unfor- you know, unfortunately, they don't go so far in the, in the build that we saw to be like, and also some people are never going to be anti-authoritarian because they are in fact authoritarian and you know, saving them Look, from their Look, if we just debate their, them right, in the exactly. marketplace of ideas, eventually we could turn them over to our side. God, it's not even that. Like, this game is, is literally, what if you cleared their debt for them? Right. What if you, like, sped just up their... their eyes to the, the true evils that they've been blinded by because they're part of the system. I, yeah, I, it, I would love... <laughs> if it was even debate me, bro, I could understand the ideology at, at, underneath it where it's like, right. the ideas prove themselves. But sure. it's not. Anyway, the point is, that corporal in the military is predisposed to dislike DedSec yeah. because military people are predisposed to dislike them, which I think is like, yes, good. The other half of that is some people are predisposed to liking DedSec. Some people are predisposed to being, you know, pro overturning all this bullshit. Yeah. And I could imagine recent immigrant or like coming right. from an immigrant background or being a queer person. Like one of the characters I played at played as was someone who had anarchist leanings like listed in their things. And that made them by default, he was default pro dead sack right. I didn't need to do that much to bring him on board um, and also like he looked like a punk do you know what I mean he had like right. a mohawk and like a cool leather jacket and etc so I think there are some of those intertwining systems on that layer but I do not think that they will be that second layer of like and also it affects your gameplay in these ways this yeah. actually came up in the Empire of Sin demo too where the Empire of Sin team um, which again is the kind of like um, mobster grand strategy slash tactics game that Rob and I saw uh, wanted to say like one of the things that they said was like hey we're basing all of our playable characters on either well-known gangsters from the, the era or fictional characters that represent the tensions around gender and race of mm. the time which is to say that like there are going to be more women gangsters they're going to be more black and brown gangsters that you can play as as like mob mob boss leaders mm-hmm. than the ones that have been recorded in history right um and one of the things that Rob and I talked about with them was okay like but if you're playing as the black mobster, what ha- can you still recruit the Italian mobsters? Are there mobsters who are like, no, I'll never work for a black person? Um, are there mobsters who are like, no, I'll never work for a woman? Um, and that is – their answer was like, no. Their answer was like, no, we didn't want to move into a simulation of racism in that way. Right. Even though that would be more accurate mm-hmm. because – and it felt like they were kind of like, because we know our lane. <laughs> because right. what we want is there to be diversity. We we're want, not trying to we say want something specific people from about these. All, right. From all walks of life to be able to play someone who takes out a razor blade and slits their <laughs> rival's throats. Yeah. Uh, we, but what we don't want is – or then someone does use a slur. And I I think it takes all, t- all kinds of games. I want the games that explore race as a system, racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia, et cetera, as systemic issues. Mm-hmm. I also want games where, like, as a black person, I can sit down and not be, like, have people call me slurs immediately. Right. It can be exhausting. Even a game like Mafia 3, which I loved, I wrote a preview feature before that feature was, like, tuned all the way in which, like, yikes, like, 
I have been called nigger way more times in this game than I have this year. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is an achievement. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I think that, that that's that's uh, we'll see. I, I, that game's out next March. There's still some time to start tuning and stuff. Right. I really hope that that team um, has listened to a lot of that feedback and is like eager to think through. Specifically for me, the big issue that I keep coming back to on Watch Dogs Legion is the idea that just like some people will see themselves materially benefiting from authoritarianism and think that that's a good thing. Right. They just will. And like maybe that's already in the design doc somewhere that the big third act turn is that you've secretly been, you know, invaded by a bunch of fucking counter agents. Who knows? Ugh. But if it is just like anyone in the world can be recruited to to resist. Yeah. Like I would love to, I you know. Class consciousness, baby. Right. But that you have to really fucking earn it if that's the case. And the systems that are there right now don't show me that uh, exactly. So, um, uh, I mean, it was that bad that like I assumed that you couldn't until I saw it in that demo. What's that? Well, that that you couldn't recruit. You could recruit anybody. Enemies yeah, that would be enemies. shooting at you. No, like, you could recruit them. I know that's why yeah, yeah, yeah. you might have to put in the effort, right? You like really you gotta, like go into the effort. tree yeah, and yeah, figure yeah. out like, yeah. oh, what can I do to, you know, so so maybe you shot them, that, yeah. maybe you maybe you knock them out, which puts them in the hospital. Then you prioritize their treatment, and it says right. like, love from dead sec. Uh, you right. know, I don't know how exactly that's conveyed. That. <laughs> that's what it says. It says that a little card shows up. Right. As they're getting surgery, and they read it, and it's just the dead sack logo. Oh, wow. Yeah, love exactly that. Uh, speaking of love, <laughs> much love, much, much love, dog. Uh, Alex writes in and says, "Unfortunately, it got derailed by the fun fourteen-year-old Patrick uh, inter- does an interview riff." But I want to know what you thought of the Blair Witch game. I didn't, didn't see the gameplay. That was the whole what? thing. Is it, you didn't Remember? see any the, gameplay, dude? I was in a, un- a haze. The, what was last from, week? When we, so when we talked when we talked around the last podcast, I said yeah. that I don't want to say anything from this game, but at my meeting, the outline. Oftentimes, when you book an E3 meeting, um, sometimes you say, "Hey, you got thirty minutes," and you don't know what's going to happen when you get there. You just show up and you you wing it. Sometimes you get like a detailed breakdown of like ten minutes presentation, twenty minutes like Q and A, twenty minutes presentation, blah, blah, blah. and this one said like. 10 minutes of like watching like the sizzle reel or whatever of gameplay and 20 minutes with the developers. And I was like, cool. Um, and I get, they rightly assumed probably that I would have just watched that gameplay from yeah, the yeah, E3 yeah. showcase. And I didn't because I would like to boot that game up and just like experience Play. it. Like I, now that I know Is it that exists. Dated? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's also August 30th or Ooh, uh, late soon. August or something like that. Um, all the big games, yeah, which, 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 yeah. which is part of the reason why I didn't want to watch anything. Like if this game was like spring of next year, I'd be like, cool. Like I'd like to get a sense of it so I could talk about it, speak to it. But it, you know, in, the, in a world where like I could get code in like you know uh, two months, you know, from now, like the I get very as a, uh, for a mythology that means so much to me and one that I was so immersed with um, in my youth and one that when I revisit, I still like get really excited for um, in a way that is reflective in Daniel Dwyer put up a tweet today in which they have a very yeah. good filmed perspective of me having a reaction to that reveal, which I actually think in the post E3 lull, I will, my reaction to that game in the spoiler discourse, I think is fascinating to think about um, mm-hmm. in terms of like where I particular, like where I fit in terms of how I cover games. But um, yeah, like I, so I managed to interview those developers uh, for 30 minutes without, Having seen the gameplay, I mean, I teased it out like talking to them, and I pieced together basically what that gameplay was, um, and it fits very much within 
what you'd expect from Layers of Fear, which is Layers of Fear, uh, you know, is built on like aesthetic repetition and like, you know, uh, uh, like trickery in terms of the visual. So Blair Witch fits that as a series that is built on time loops um, and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm they the people. So I didn't see it. So I can't tell you what I thought of the gameplay, but I was talking to the people. Um, especially the writer who's spent most of my time kind of grilling. Um, th- they seem like very thoughtful about what they're trying to do uh, with it. And so I I remain deeply curious, but hopefully the first you'll see of that is, I don't know, maybe I'll do some sort of live stream where I'll actually experience that with, with folks. That seems that like a game so special good. enough to, I would to bust to out a, a horror stream. So a hundred percent catch me there's, in August. There's time loops in Blair Witch Mythos. Uh, well, so like the notion is like, why can't you escape the forest? It's not because they weren't smart enough to just go in a line and huh. find their way out. It's that the, uh, the witch or the forest or however they're like varying interpretations of like how that actually works out, um, has control over like your perception of the forest. So the reason mm. you keep walking back in is because you've actually can't leave. Um, you're sort of, once you walk within the circle of is there influence, a trick? you are. Can I get uh, out if I, I mean, you don't, you know, it didn't work out well for the people in the nine, the 90s movie or in the one that came out a couple of years back. Has anyone escaped ever? Uh, okay, well, wait. Do you, How do you, do you get want the to footage? talk about the, the rust? Hmm? How do you get the footage out? Someone well, had so to the, find it's that not, footage. It's not as though it, the the, uh, the witch needs to choose you as a target. Oh. So it's like you can be within the sphere of influence and nothing can happen. So the witch can be like, the premise eh. of the yeah, yeah, or maybe they're you know dormant. I, you know, I don't know the right. exact yeah, specifics know. of the the life cycle of the of the witch necessarily. I'm just gonna go to Google and type in how later. does the Blair Witch work. Um, well, it depends on if you're talking about the first movie or the second movie Quora. because the second movie I'm gets deep into the the like the physical manifestation of the creature. Um, and uh, in the first one, like the police <laughs> recover like a the videotapes from that they filmed because they went to. They went to the basement of Rustin Parr, who killed the children, who uh-huh. made the yeah, kids yeah, yeah, yeah. face the wall Rustin anyway. So. You can't do that bit again. <laughs> no. uh, Quora, Quora over on Quora. Sure you can. Kata was, pretend- was like, nobody's going to remember that fucking bit from last week because they were tired. So I'll just roll that shit out a second time. Sneak it out. Over on Quora, uh, is the Blair Witch real? Asks Anonymous. Answers here from Nick. Haha, no idea, friend. Only which I know personally is a space witch. Uh, we got a good answer here. Wait, who are they talking about? No idea from Athena. <laughs> Athena says no. Actually, no movies are. Some documentaries, oh. sorta. <laughs> what a good answer, actually. You know, uh, yeah. Marie says, I think the story has some truth behind it. Which Hell yeah. is really good. Is really good. <sighs> um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I like this question that came in, which answers a previous question from a different person. Ian writes in and says, do you think E3 could be a virtual event one week where every publisher does the game releases from wherever they want to be? Then the following week, everyone comes together to a location for everyone to play the demos and communicate with devs and publishers? Or do you see it ending and going to each company having their own pressers? Love what you do. Uh, keep it up. That's a possibility. So put Judges Week at the end. You put Judge. It's just no. Or it's like a fan week still. You could still oh, do okay. E three as it stands, but you just do a week. This is kind of E three already. Right. <laughs> For us, if you don't attend the press conferences, right. 
and it's just directs basically. It's just that those directs are in a room. There's, it's like, what if in the Nintendo Direct sometimes they they cut instead of to just Doug Bowser on a screen, they cut to a room filled with people watching the Nintendo Direct. That would be what it's like. Um, uh, get one or two more in, and then we'll wrap it up here. Um. Uh, Corliss writes in and says, when talking about Wolfenstein Youngblood, it was briefly mentioned that enemies now have health bars. Could you talk more about that? My worry with health bars is that even basic enemies would become bullet sponges. Does it feel like it takes a similar amount of time to kill your average Nazi compared to previous games? And or did it feel like it required both co-op partners to concentrate on one enemy at a time? Really just the boss had the health bar. I think regular enemies died mm, no, pretty normally there, I mean, there, me. So there are, uh, so at least I found them, again, I've, uh, it admitted that my co-op partner uh, was yeah. not particularly good, so it was hard to tell uh, where this particular complaint falls on the spectrum if you were playing either by yourself with like competent AI or with you know someone that you knew that you could properly coordinate with. But there were like tank style enemies who just came out with a so like there's health and it's red and then there are these blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. These white blocks that represent their armor, and there were it was literally like there's no trick here. Like you just need to fucking shoot them enough times until those white blocks chip right. away. And then once they're at the health level, basically if they're, if it's just red, it's like really quick to bring them down. Like in the average, if you were to take away the, um, uh, the health bar, you would not notice it was any meaningfully different than playing a previous Wolfenstein game. Mm-hmm. But by virtue of being an RPG, there are enemies that are going to essentially be bullet sponges to some degree. Um, and so some of these tank enemies, were absolutely like that. Um, whether that ends up being like a actual problem over the course of the game is like you get higher level. I don't know necessarily, but um, I don't know that I even like didn't enjoy those bits. It was more just, it was different, but it does have elements of that for sure. I mean, there were mini bosses in the earlier Wolfensteins as well that had more than your average health, right? Like just enemies. Yeah, and in some ways world. I like having the health bar because... Right. You know, t- t- more information. Well, not more information is better, but like it is. It's. I find it satisfying to watch the health bar go down. Um, which actually, it's funny not to talk about the Monster Hunter interview again, but like that was something that came up in our uh, conversation. Was I remember asking the developers if they noticed anything about Western audiences versus like the game they'd been designing for fifteen years, largely for Japanese audiences, and they said they did play testing before World came out and one of the first bits of feedback they got from Western players was like, yo, we need damage numbers. Like, I want to know, like, the fuck is going on here? So they added damage numbers. But then, um, or at least, like, more uh, ways of, like, displaying what the player is is doing. But Western players also wanted health bars. Like, they wanted to see, like, literally what was happening on screen. And I, you know, I think Capcom concluded that actually part of the magic to what makes Monster Hunter work is that ambiguity and having to watch what the creature does, but also just the stress of not knowing if you're one hit away or a hundred hits away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they resisted the temptation to put in a health bar because they felt like that was a a step too far, but it was something that Western audiences in particular were, were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. And I think that there's like a degree to which, I think that that is. I, can you turn those off in Monster Hunter? The number, the number dealies. Not sure. I don't know. Damage I wonder numbers? if you'll be able to turn off. Yeah, some games let you turn those on or off. Right. I'm curious if you'll be able to turn off the health bars in in um, Wolfenstein. Hmm. Um, let's get 
let's see. I want to go out on a good one. Uh, here we go. This one comes in from Finnan. It's our last one. What are your hot takes of the industry right now? What I mean by that mm. is, do you think 2020 is shaping up to be a more progressive year for gaming with uh, with lots of many exciting games, or are we stagnating in scandals and weird publishers still? I don't have a hot take here, except that like the industry is the industry. Mm. Um, I There is very little new under the sun in terms of the stuff going on behind closed doors. Like, have are there going to be more labor scandals? Yes. Are there going to be more, like, bad sexual misconduct scandals? Yes. But the answer to why that is is because those things have existed in the industry and are only coming to light now because reporters are, like, are, are able to speak to people. People feel more comfortable telling their stories because there has been a wave of that stuff happening. Um, the stuff that is The stuff that does feel genuinely new is seeing, like, Bernie Sanders tweet about Game Workers Unite. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hell Yeah. Which is wild. Uh, seeing uh, real talk, seeing like Jocelyn from Riot, who was one of the the uh, women who organized the walkout at Riot, uh, and um, Emma from Game Workers Unite, sit on the giant bomb couch and talk about what a union is. Like that stuff is actually genuinely exciting and new because the conversations and the the attempts at resistance and organization that have happened behind the scenes and often been shut down are now happening out out in public. Um, people have been making independent small games in their bedrooms for as long as any of us have been alive. Yeah. It's just that we called those mods or they existed on forums on the internet and we didn't think about them or they happened in ZZT. Like there were all – people have always been doing independent game development for as long as games have existed. Right. House rules, all that shit. But now platforms like Itch have brought those to more people. Uh, companies who are pressured to have software on their consoles have – been pushed to include those them in their in their uh, in their kind of big press briefings, you know. To quote to quote a man I love very dearly, I don't know that there's ever been a better time to play video games. Um, it's just also the case that that stuff is marred by by a lot of bad shit uh, too, and it always has been. It's just that that stuff is coming to light. And I think we need to like take that in stride and know that that's part of the industry getting better right. um, as more and more cool people, diverse people enter the medium and get to share their work. And like, I'm excited for that. Even if E3 exhausted me this year, even if E3 was a disappointment this year, I think 2020 is going to be a fucking cool year to play video games. Yeah. I feel like also part of that is as more independent developers get more visibility and um, more of those people tend to start, um, you know, one way or another, either going to other companies or just getting more money or interest, like being able to make bigger things, like from a more diverse uh, set of creators, yes, is very exciting to see. Yes, going forward, Patrick, twenty twenty in video games. Uh, nah. Discourse, capital D discourse, discourse is going to come for us. We're going to be in it all year. I can already yeah. see the the this console generation is the worst one because it just gave us faster load times and nothing else. That's Ooh. fine though. Like I'm good. Like, right, right. I'm That's actually totally re- like, I'm ready to be yeah. past the hardware discourse. Exactly. Like, yeah. Just in just in on the games. Mm-hmm. Totally. But like there will be people who are like, "What? This is a new generation. This is what next gen is now." I can I can feel it rippling <laughs> yeah i guess uh it's not like a hot take but like just like i'm part of the reason i'm so curious about next year because like this is true of any sort of like generational turnover is like this is when you get a lot of 
you know, big new swings on IPs, on worlds, like things you're going to be playing sequels of for, you know, the next five to eight years. And it's like, what has been, you know, as we've talked just here about like the shift in what we're talking about, like what games are considering, um, what their values are. Um, The beginning of a new generational cycle is an instance in which, we in some ways we get a measuring stick on where has that caught up in the big machine in which right. the big machine will never be perfect the big machine will never be as interesting varied progressive thoughtful as what is happening in independent spaces that are mm-hmm. are freer and have more latitude and don't have to worry about the expectations of fidelity in the same way that is expected of AAA games um but i do think it provides a sense of like, well, what do, what are the priorities of these companies? What do they think that we want and want from games in these types of games? And I think uh, it takes a long time for change to appear in those games because it's so long for them to be developed. Um, They tend to appear less in sequels and more, more in like here is the, you know, it's, it's less likely to see what's happening like in watchdogs where it feels like it's politics and its aim has changed actually pretty dramatically over the course of three games in really interesting ways, but that feels less of what we see and more of an outlier. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like, what is what? Where you know, what do Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, to a lesser extent, because that's really just not the world they play in nearly as much. No. But like for these big like story based things that are supposed to reflect what we want to play or what we think we want to play, or what they think we want to play. What, what do they think that is? Like, what is the mirror that they think they're holding up to us? And where does that stuff fall? I'm That's where I'm curious to see so much about next year that I don't know have much visibility into. But I'm, I'm so deeply curious to see where it lands. Me too. And on that note, I'm exhausted again. <laughs> E3 has tired me out not once, but twice. And that let's do one more time. Four hours later, let's do two podcasts. Let's just do two. Let's just go until 4 a.m., baby. That's going to do for us. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Kato? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Patrick Klepek, who just went blurry on our camera for a second. It's the aliens. This is the a aliens. Alien con. They came That's through. Right. right now, if you, you want, find- if you want, if you want a clear, if you want a clear signal, you need to pay six hundred thirty-five dollars uh-huh. for the Galaxy Pass. Uh, Which you can find the day that this comes Culver. out, Alien mm-hmm. Con is going on. So, <laughs> so you know, have fun, everybody. Uh, find everything Waypoint does. Waypoint.vice.com, Twitter.com/slash/waypoint, uh, Facebook.com/slash/waypointvice, YouTube.com/slash/waypointvice. Um, shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You of the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. We'll be back on Monday with another episode of Waypoint Radio. And we're gonna try to figure out this Ava podcast. We're gonna try to we're gonna try something's to figure it gonna, out. Something's gonna happen, right? Something's gonna happen. We're gonna figure something out. So look forward to that in the coming weeks. <laughs> Until then, peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.